From Relativity and our Relativity One partners, this is Uncivil Procedure, the e-discovery podcast. I'm Anna Srunian, Program Manager on the Event Marketing Team, and here is your host, Relativity Discovery Council and Legal Education Director, David Horrigan. Thank you, Ms. Srunian, and welcome to Uncivil Procedure. In today's episode, we're going to take a bit of a different path. A lot of times in e-discovery, we talk about civil litigation, but today we're going to be discussing white-collar crime. You may be thinking, well, gee, that's not a very uplifting episode. That's no fun. Oh, but it is. Because not only are we going to be talking about some of the great scandals of the late 20th and early 21st centuries, we'll also be discussing Thelonious Fido's, Prince and Paisley Park, Elvis, Graceland, and perhaps the shag carpeting in Graceland, Crime Waves in Wisconsin, Gertie and the Daylilies, and no, that is not a band from the 90s. It's actually a dog and an allergic reaction. Livestrong, Barkstrong, Purstrong, and any other athletes you may know. But first, a word from this episode's sponsor, Charles River Associates. Ms. Sarunian? Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure is brought to you by Relativity One certified partner, Charles River Associates. CRA advises the vast majority of the Fortune 100 and AMLAW 100 on financial matters, litigation, and regulatory proceedings. Their success stems in part from outstanding capabilities of their consultants, many of whom are recognized as experts in their field. The CRA Forensic Services Practice, which assists companies and their counsel in responding to allegations of fraud, abuse, misconduct, and noncompliance, leans on Relativity One to provide end-to-end discovery services. Lean on CRA for e-discovery as well as cybersecurity, information governance, and investigation support. We're going to be talking to our special guest today. Kristen Trailer is counsel at the international law firm McGuire Woods. She's also a ubiquitous presence on the e-discovery scene, being a noted author of e-discovery articles, as well as a frequent conference speaker. Kristen, welcome to Uncivil Procedure. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Now, um, she is a stranger to no one at e-discovery conferences. She writes uh, substantially on e-discovery issues. She was also one of our panelists for Ask the Judges at Relativity Fest 2016. Um, She won a competition to be on there. Thank you again for being part of it. And if we turn the clock back to 2016, before we get to today's topic of white-collar crime, we were talking about judges and whether judges were going to get more involved in the e-discovery process. So now we've had three years to look back. Kristen, what do you think? Are judges more involved in the e-discovery process? Absolutely. I think they've really taken on a very large role of sort of telling people what to do, giving a lot of input to counsel. Um, they're pretty much all over the place with their um, uh, their case law. I mean, they're coming out with all kinds of orders, uh, you know, saying that assisted review is, can be used. I mean, I, I just feel like they are very active. Excellent. You know, we're going to get into the subject of whether or not they're more active in criminal matters and whether white-collar crime is even an issue in e-discovery. But before we do that, our panel has returned again. Daniel Pelk, Senior Manager, Law Firm Marketing at Relativity. How's your day going? So far, so good, David. Happy to be here. Excellent. We're going to get to your criminal history in a moment. <laughs> Uh, and, and by the way, Daniel Pelk, in all fairness, no one here has a criminal history, but uh, no, we I are. I do, actually. We're going to go Little through it. Oh, <laughs> well, see, I was trying to cover for you, man. Um, all right, Don Sawyer, Account Executive Channel, another one of the lawyers on this Motley crew. How are you today, sir? I'm doing very well, David. Thank you. Um, any overall thoughts on white-collar crime? Well, I was, uh, you know, I, I have some thoughts, and we'll get into those. 
Wow, foreshadowing. We can hardly wait. And of course, as usual, the man, the legend, the guy from the customer area of relativity who keeps the wheels rolling, making sure that people know how to use relativity, Constantine Pappas. How are you, sir? Hello. So what, criminal history, are we talking about convictions or allegations ah. or surreptitious behavior, which has never been substantiated? Well, you know, I'll let you take the pick, all of the above, or okay. only one of those if we want to cast a very narrow net on this topic. Okay. Well, good. I think I buried them deep. Excellent. Um, Kristen Trailer, back to you. Um, you have done some work on white-collar crime, obviously, but uh, you specialize in discovery matters at McGuire Woods, and obviously McGuire Woods is a very large law firm. You've got uh, lots of things you can do at that firm, but uh, I've always been a fan of your writing. And uh, one of the most recent ones is data preservation, don't treat discovery like it's 1999. Um, so there's a Prince theme going on here. You a fan? I like Prince, yeah. Now I got some good music. Yeah, I, I assume Daniel Pelk may be the biggest Prince fan here because you are in fact from Minnesota, or at least you live there now. I am a Minneapolitan. I uh, am not as big a Prince fan as, as my wife. But yeah, certainly like Prince. It was a tragic event a couple of years ago. But yeah, we'll listen to 1999 like anyone else. We were on a cruise ship when the news came down. And um, obviously, internet connections are spotty. But people started saying, Prince is dead. And we thought it was Prince Harry or Prince Charles. And that Camellia was going to ascend to the throne or something like that. But no, it was the uh, purple man from Minnesota. It was the prince. Exactly. Yeah, the prince. But uh, Constantine Pappas, I hear you've actually been to the Paisley Palace. Paisley Park uh, Paisley. recording studio and residence that's, uh, it's very strange. So, uh, you know, Daniel over here lives in the town, but it's if you're just like driving down an interstate and you see like an office park uh, on the side of the road, that's what it looks like. And that's how far it is from like 94. Yeah. And he just basically bought an office building and converted it into a house and recording studio and business office. And it's a, it's a little weird. So those of you that have been to Graceland, there's very, like, there's a kitsch factor, uh, depending on whether you like, you know, I don't know, Southern Podunk kitsch or, or whoa, 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 you know, whoa, 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 funk whoa. kitsch. What? Our guest is from Richmond. Don't be disparaging the I South. I wasn't disparaging the South in general. I'm saying every uh, area of the United States has their own kitsch level. Right? Yes, so, um, and, and Graceland is probably at the top of it. There's Boston Kitsch, too. Don't worry, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Can you go to his house still? So, yeah, Princess? so they've opened it as a museum, yeah. and huh. you go into this atrium and um, sort of bolted over one of the doors is this plexiglass miniature model of Paisley Park. So you go in there, and then there's like a model of the thing you're in, and then they tell you that his ashes are in that weird little plexiglass model. Weird. And it's just like you're just kind of standing under it going, this is a little odd. They yeah. would never put Elvis's ashes, ashes in Graceland. Well, he's, he's buried, buried there, there in, the, in the garden. Right, but he gets a full plot there. None of this ashes stuff. Well, he shares it with his Maybe his that's what Prince wanted to yeah. be like. Uh, yeah, he was an environmentalist. He didn't want to take up too much space. I think you're just looking for a reason to sing either Elvis or Prince. I'd like uh, him to say Prince, actually. I just, I'm waiting for it. Yeah, Miss Arunian, I never want to disappoint you, so when you least expect it, it may come up. But um, Kristen Trailer, Virginia is not too far from Memphis, from Tennessee. Ever been to Graceland? I've never been to Graceland, but I really feel like I need to go now. Yeah, um, I did go. 
And uh, it was in my youth where I said things that were perhaps, uh, I don't know, shouldn't have been said. But, um, well, what you, you want to see where Elvis died. I mean, it's not Ford's Theater or going to Daly Plaza or something along those lines. But uh, if you've never been to Dealey Plaza and you've never been to Ford's Theater, I've been to both of those, by the Me way. Too. Not that I'm obsessed with these celebrity death scenes. But I just asked them if we could go to the bathroom at Graceland to see the scene. And among the amber waves of shag carpeting that are all through Graceland, because time stopped in, what was it, 1977? Yeah. About, yeah. Yeah. Um, and up until a certain time, Elvis's relative lived there at Graceland. You could did see you her. see the spot or no? No, they wouldn't let me in. You they don't let anyone the there. You don't the go upstairs. Are blocked yeah. off. Because they have a sense of decorum there. Hmm. All right, bringing this back to white collar crime, because Elvis had nothing to do with any sort of crime because he was the king, and I'm not going to sing that yet. Um, he was deputized by Nixon, in fact. <laughs> and the drug czar. He was, he he was, was a law enforcement official. <laughs> so true. Um, in your white-collar criminal cases, any work with drug czars, Elvis or otherwise? Ooh. Not, not drug czars, but drugs in general? Um, when I was in law school, I did a stint at the U.S. Attorney's Office. And there we had a big sort of drug forfeiture case. And, you know, we went to trial, and I got the second chair of the trial. And we had to bring in all these drugs and these guns and show them all to the jury. And it was a lot of fun. But, yeah, not a lot of that in the white-collar McGuire Woods world. <laughs> it's very civilized at McGuire Woods, um, but you know we may be less civilized. Um, Daniel Pelk, sure. Care to tell us about a quote-unquote crime? And our listeners can't see, but they're air quotes crime, um, in which you may have committed in your personal life, with which you may or may not have gotten away. So I'm pretty squeaky clean. I, I tried to. I know. <laughs> I, I'm surprised too. But no, I, I try to stay straight and narrow. This was 1988, seen a high school in Wisconsin. <laughs> I have a really, really old car. In fact, the car had no floorboards. I don't know if we've covered this already, but I had, I had a car that I paid $100 for and got change back. <laughs> um, one day after school, I may have accelerated a little quickly coming out of the parking lot got pulled over by Mequon, Wisconsin's finest, and uh, got a very stern warning about squealing my tires coming out of the parking lot. This car would go zero to 60 in weeks. Uh, <laughs> there was no way I was going to be able to squeal the tires on that car. So wrongly accused, still incredibly upset by it, but that's okay, I'm fine, I'll deal. All right, uh, Don Sawyer, Daniel Pelk is a menace to the roadways. Apparently, you may be a menace to the grocery stores of America. That is true. I did pass character and fitness. Uh, I am still a licensed attorney, so I have to watch what I say here. But I watch the crime. I do not partake in the crime. Uh, my two-year-old and my four-and-a-half-year-old do like the... Uh, selection of grapes and oranges and apples at Mariano's and uh, I apologize wow. but uh, if it's by weight we are getting something free every Saturday when we go grocery shopping. Uh -huh. <laughs> Constantine Pappas your life of crime. Yes if it wasn't for the crime part I wouldn't have a life at all. <laughs> uh, so the year I believe was also I'm gonna do this turn thing was also 1988 the state was also Wisconsin, uh, uh, but I was in, in college in Madison. 
And uh, so the whole University of Wisconsin campus is um, on top of a series of tunnels, steam tunnels that carry power, electricity. Steam? Uh, steam, yes, throughout the campus. And they're obviously locked down. They're not supposed to be crawling around in them. But we got this great idea that we were going to get a bunch of screwdrivers. And there was a, a trap door off campus uh, next to a tavern that has been closed down for serving underage people mm -hmm. <laughs> for decades now, uh, the Badger Tavern. And uh, it was, it's very hot in the steam tunnels because of the steam, right? So uh, we, uh, it was the middle of winter, but we went down in just like short sleeves and we were just like crawling around in these tunnels and getting into different university buildings after hours and, and really doing nothing other than sightseeing and getting very dirty and like it, was, it wasn't a pleasant experience. And then we decided we were gonna go climb to the top of one of the, the tallest um, uh, classroom buildings, Bascom Hall, which is at the top of the hill for those familiar with Madison. And um, we were walking towards the fire escape with like, with rope and flashlights and screwdrivers and all the stuff and no winter coats. And I literally said to the three people with me, are, are you sure you guys wanna do this? I don't know when the cops stepped out from the shadows and oh, said, no. uh, what are you guys doing? And being really quick on my feet as I was back in 1988, I went, uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, why don't you guys go back to your dorm? And I said, no, that's, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, Kristen Trailer, you've heard the Wisconsin crime wave of counselors, <laughs> Pelk and Pappas. You've heard of grocery store crime with Don Sawyer. Now, first of all, none of us wants to be brought up before character and fitness at our respective state bars, but anything you can disclose that won't get you hauled in? So, as a good lawyer, I would tell you never to admit to anything, right, including right. whatever you guys just admitted to. <laughs> that didn't happen. But I may have been in my attic this weekend, moving some things around, and found a street sign that's there. Oh. Miraculously appeared there. Fell off right. the truck. Yeah. yeah. Probably from the prior owner. That, that must be it. Um, you know, taking things um, away from Minnesota, away from Graceland, but bringing them back to your alma mater, Quinnipiac, um, a fine law school, you're a graduate of it, but it's also known for political polling, arguably uh, one of the best. Um, did you do any polling when you were there? Or? I was kind of really busy studying and going to classes. Stealing street signs? N no. Um, <laughs> no. So, yeah, I, I didn't do much polling, but um, I'm glad that the people at Quinnipiac do that because then people are really familiar with my law school. Exactly. But um, you were educated also in Virginia. Um, Virginia, the, the other commonwealth in Massachusetts, we like to think we're the commonwealth, but you certainly are the commonwealth. So is Kentucky, Puerto Rico, any number of places. But um, Virginia's a great place. Um, Richmond, there's the fan. Great place. Um, how long have you been in Richmond? I have been there since 2000. Okay. So, a while. Yeah. I pretty much graduated from law school and moved back down to Richmond and just stayed there. Not a bad, not a bad place to be. If we are going on to some of the other things that Kristen Trailer brings with us, um, there's always swag, and these aren't swag, these are a fashion statement. You have got some great earrings today, if you don't mind my telling our listeners. Where'd you get them? So I had them custom made. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> and I did it before Last Fast, and I, I wanted earrings. And I, actually, the year before, I had mentioned to somebody at Relativity that you, you guys should really do earrings, and they were gonna talk to the marketing people, but 
um, I never saw any earrings, so I said, I'm just going to have my own made. So my husband actually, it was a birthday present. Nice. Um, but he went and picked them up and there, found some guy on Etsy and sent him the uh, the picture and he made them. Now, I didn't expect them to be this big. I know nobody, <laughs> nobody can see what they look like, but they're huge. I thought they were going to be little, tiny ones, but... They are indeed a fashion statement. It's only appropriate because, if I'm not mistaken, you hold just about every relativity certification that's ever been created. Um, I think you're pretty close. Um, which one do you think was the hardest? The project management one. Really? Yes. Um, it's hard because it, you know, it talks about legal hold and collection and processing, and I don't have any of those things. So I had to oh. kind of just learn them. Um, from the manual, which I, it's easier for me to, you know, learn things when I'm actually trying them and, you know, get in there and, you know, learn what how to do things. So I had to learn it more theoretically, which made the test a little bit harder. All right. So you managed to make it through all of these certifications, including product management, if project management, I should say. But if we were going to create another one, what do you think it ought to be? I think you should create one for applications. So get, you know, get developers in there. And I was thinking maybe like, um, give them little fact scenarios and say, okay, now build an application. And then they have to build it, and then, you know, they get graded on that and whether they come up with something. You know, after I tried to bring us down to an inappropriate path into Elvis's death scene in the Graceland restroom, do you think there ought to be certification for podcasts? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> do you think you'd pass, David? Oh, I'm starting <laughs> to feel yes. Yes. Well, I suppose I might have a chance as long as Miss Sarunian were not the proctor and grader on the exam. <laughs> Um, uh, Daniel Pelk, certification for podcasts? I'm afraid I wouldn't be here anymore. I'm going to say no. No. Don Sawyer, certification on podcasts? I'm also going with no. I'm liking this. Constantine Pappas? Eh. We're self-regulated. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Kristen, because you've got so many relativity certifications, any experiences where email threading helped you uncover the smoking gun, criminal or otherwise? Well, if you know me, I'm a huge proponent of email threading. I've written articles about that That's as well. That's why I asked. <laughs> I'm a um, huge fan of fans of email threading. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in a government investigation, when you're trying to really get to the bottom of things and see if there's anything out there, I mean, that's the, one of the best ways to slice your data and kind of really look at, see what's going on. You've got the whole thread. You can review it at one time. You obviously don't have to review all the little pieces. It just, it really helps, I think, cut through what's going on and, and see who's talking to who as well because that makes a big difference. Yeah. You know, we talked about the judges earlier in the broadcast. Um, do you see criminal matters, white collar or otherwise, being more common in e-discovery? Yes. I mean, they're all over the place. Um, and, you know, I get a whole, you know, email every day of all these white collar crimes that are going on and how they relate to e-discovery. But I mean, it, what it is is people talking to each other, right? And they're talking to each other on email and text and Snapchat and, you know, everything that's out there. And that's where they're kind of doing these crimes. I mean, that's how they're facilitating what they're doing. I mean, you mentioned Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. They're talking about what they're doing, you know, in their emails or, you know, in their communications. But they're doing it at least now they become more surreptitious about it. So they're not using, you know, when people come to me and say, oh, let's search for the word bribery. I mean, people aren't going out and saying, <laughs> hey, let, we got to bribe this person. I mean, they come up with some, you know, they've got to come up with a different way of referring to things. Yeah, you know, I've always wondered that in a lot of the social media cases as well and the Internet of Thing cases because um, 
there is the famous case, State v. Bates, where um, the gentleman unfortunately passed away in the hot tub, and law enforcement wanted to get a hold of the Amazon Alexa data. And I always thought, you know, what's the trigger word? Is someone going to say, uh, hello, I'd like to murder my friend? Um, bam, bam, bam. It, uh, it's a real question on these trigger words. So when you're searching, obviously you're not going to see bribery or murder probably spelled out. Any secret sauce on what you try to find there, or is it just very case-specific? I think it's very case-specific, especially because you're dealing with, you know, foreign you know, countries, and so you have to, one, you have to, tran- you have to get into, translate the words that you're looking for into the country um, that where you're doing business, right? So, and it's all slang, and you have, it's not going to be an exact translation. So, I mean, you can come up with a bunch of words and get them translated, but you need to get them translated by, you know, somebody who's a native speaker and who knows the slang. But a lot of times it's not the words, it's really the context, and you have to start you just really have to look and kind of really get into it. What are they saying and what sounds fishy, which I know is not, you know, it's not something that you can just say, oh, let's go search for these five words. It's more like you have to get it from the context of what people are talking about. Sort of like going through the transcript of Fast Times Ridgemont High and looking for dude or um, righteous bud. Um, good one. I was thinking about the foreign corrupt practices thing because I took business Spanish in college. Uh-oh. And one of the things we learned, I don't know why we learned this in business Spanish, but was bribe. And because apparently that happens. Uh, and the word f- in Spanish for bribe is bite, like to bite someone. So you know, there's all sorts of cultural yeah. nuances to it that you wouldn't have, have thought of. Uh, so, so you learned this in a business Spanish course, did you? University of Minnesota is very complex. Yes. <laughs> you didn't learn it in one of these things you were doing in Wisconsin during the crime wave with Constantine? Or, no. Okay. Yeah, 88 was a rough year in Wisconsin. Yeah, evidently. Mm-hmm. We're watching The Sopranos right now, too, and it's like... It's all very subtle, the way that they communicate these orders, right? Yeah, and it's funny that I would never even think that this is how people even communicate through, like, other digital avenues. Every every data set, even if it's in English, is in a very specific version of English for that customer Mm -hmm. at that time, right? So it's a matter of learning their version of English or whatever language the documents are in, and... uh, and using analytics and other other things, like you can find out what their little their catchphrases are. It's well, Constantine, cool. the problem is that advanced analytics has taken all the fun out of the criminal enterprise I because know. you used to be able to do fun things like just take a word and use wild cards or wild characters, like put an asterisk for every vowel or put an exclamation mark somewhere. But now these advanced tools, like relativity, <clears throat> will just find these things. And so, you know, where's the fun of the word games you used to have? I would rather see them all unify the language so all the bad guys have to use the same terminology. Like, if you're going to bribe someone, you have to say, let's bribe them, and then let's set the price, and then let's commit fraud, and then let's lie in court and hide the evidence. Just, <laughs> just be real clear just, about let's it. Let's be clear about it. I think let's do some fraud is a really good Let's do some fraud. Yeah. Why do people email this? Why don't they just you pick think up the they would have learned by now yeah. too? Wiretaps, man. They thought email was safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, all right, crimes alleged and actual. We're going to move into our first game. That is, of course, stump the panel. The panelists are on a winning streak. They've been doing pretty well in the last few episodes, and I, being the humane person that I am, am going to give excellent hints. 
We're going to have some fun. Who would like to be the first panelist to take a swing at the bat of Stump the Panel? I'll take a shot. All right. Daniel Pelk, being the sporting fellow that you are, you may get this one. This golfer allegedly made close to, allegedly, note that, allegedly made close to a million dollars on a stock tip based on privileged information. That sounds like John Daly. I was going the same route. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does sound like John Daly. Not unlike Elvis's relative who lived at Graceland, I got to meet John Daly one time. I bet he's as charming as he seemed. Well, I don't want to disparage Mr. Daly. Let's just say it was at a bar at Jacksonville Beach that around the time up. of the Players' Championship, yeah, and uh, hijinks ensued, as they used to like to say. Did you get to see his bathroom? I did not. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Over um, two. Yeah, exactly. I live a deprived life. Your first hint, Counselor Pelk. He has won every major except the U.S. Open. Well, it can't be Tiger Woods because he's won the U.S. Open. Indeed. So Tiger is off the hook so on this one. So of all the golfers, I've eliminated two. You've done well. You have the wrong guy. I've okay. <laughs> um, he has a Scottish name, and there's a major hamburger chain that has a very similar name. McDonald's? <laughs> You've got the hamburger chain. <laughs> you are so close. All right. Um, his first name is related to something you would do to a gasoline tank. Phil Mickelson? Yes! Very good. You know what? We need to do like <laughs> That was one a weird week. <laughs> We need to we do one week where one. The, the question is like, what number is four? Or something like <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> Just build us back up again. And uh, Celebrity Jeopardy. Exactly. <laughs> what is Jazz? Any color. Yes, uh, Don Sawyer. I'm ready. Batter <clears throat> up. Once again, these are alleged crimes until anyone is convicted. By the way, if we can take a brief detour, I know that we got to finish this episode, but didn't it bug you with the instruction innocent until proven guilty? Shouldn't it be innocent unless proven guilty? Kristen Trailer, has that ever bothered you before? Not till you just brought it up, but you make a good point. Well, thank you, Kristen. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, all right, so I'm obsessing over the minutia again. Don Sawyer, your yes. question. When a group of white-collar Manhattanites were busted for this crime in 2016, their peers in the New York City business scene were stricken with fear of potentially having the same fate. What was the alleged offense? 2016? Uh, yeah. Is this the uh, private escort service? But a very astute guess. guess, sir. It's a very good guess. I would have probably assumed that had I not had the cheat sheet here. Um, your first hint. Their arrests were a major buzzkill. <laughs> they were all drunk? Um, you're, you're going down the right path. Okay. Um, your next hint. They paid for their bad habit. Oh, I have a good hint. Oh, Miss Saruni. I'll probably give it away. That's I could win this one. I need it. It's called nose candy <laughs> at times. Wow. You have been watching <laughs> yeah. the crime drama. The Sopranos, I'm telling you. Should I be knowing this? It's super intense. Are we we're snorting something with a dollar bill? 
I was about to say, you are pure as the driven snow right. if you don't yeah. know this one. All right, so we're doing cocaine? Yeah. Yes! <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, we we're doing cocaine. Are. <laughs> All right. Miss Sarunian. Yeah. We, uh, it, it's time for another game. And uh, we have played Stump the Panel with a 1,000 batting average, 100% from our panel. But Kristen Trailer, the pressure is on because you get to be the contestant in this game. Ms. Runian, care to explain the rules? So this game is called Discover the Truth, uh, and each panelist will share a case about not white collar, but dog collar crime. <laughs> so let's wrap our minds around that together. Two of these cases having to do with dogs are real. One is made up. Pick the panelist with the fake story, and you'll win some swag. Sounds great. All right, Daniel Pelk. Batter up. With the advent of Amazon, we have seen a tremendous growth in, I guess you'd call them porch crimes, where people are stealing packages off the front ah. of porches. Mm. Uh, and there has been a, uh, an advent to help you know, solve some of those crimes in the form of, of cameras. So a woman in Indiana found that her packages were disappearing on a regular basis. She would get a package, come home, gone. Obviously, it said on the website, you know, it was delivered, but clearly not there. So she grabbed one of those cameras and mounted it, and she, sh she found that, sure enough, there was a thief who was taking those packages every day, and it was in the form of her neighbor's dog. Uh -huh. And the dog was particularly attracted to the packaging. So the dog would take the package into the other yard, consume whatever part of the package he wanted to consume, and then would hide the remnants. <laughs> so uh, this actually occurred two times, once in uh, Florida and once in Indiana, very similar fact pattern here, very similar as far as the uh, the dog intent. Neither dog was arrested. Neither dog served any time for, for, <laughs> their, for their crimes. Dog uh, ring? A dog ring, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> the dog crime ring. Dog syndicate. Moving on from these felonious people, dogs, and dogs are people too, right, Miss Runian? No. Oh, <laughs> well, you're supposed to be the dog lover here. Dogs are dogs. <laughs> my dog would, res would respectfully disagree. Listen, my dogs have the comfiest life ever, but they are still dogs. They still poop outside. My dog does not. <laughs> no, there's no... Yeah. Well, if that's the only distinguishing characteristic... <laughs> you're actually a dog, too. Is that what you're wow. trying to tell me? Wow. I mean, you, there, you finished that sentence however you like, I guess. <laughs> there's the canine, canine, the canine feline debate that people have, and some cats are able to relieve themselves on human plumbing systems. Mm. You've yes. probably seen that. I've seen yes. Yeah, yeah that, that would be interesting. My, uh, I have two cats at home. And one of them goes in the shower. <laughs> oh, wow. Gross. That's, that's a smell that does not go away. Yeah. You know you what? Know. They're smarter than dogs, though. I'm going to say hey. it right here. Oh. I'm going to go that's on the fighting podcast. words, Don. Yeah. You're a newbie on this yeah. podcast. Tread lightly. Yeah. <laughs> Two 18-year-old cats, they do what they want. I'd say the tub is probably the preferred place if sure. they're 18 years old, and, and may they live long and healthy lives beyond this point. I appreciate it. Um, because we're not going to get into some Elvis conversation now on this one. Um, but we came back to the bathrooms. Right, exactly. We did indeed. But um, Don Sawyer, yes, you've got another fact pattern for Kristen Trailer to try to figure out. I do, Kristen. In an apparent retaliatory lawsuit, Chris Oman, who sells yellow pet collars with the markings Bark Strong, and Per Strong, for our cat lovers out there, mm. sued the Lance Armstrong Foundation for infringing a design patent to its Bark Strong dog collar design. In his complaint, 
filed in the Northern District of Oklahoma, Mr. Oman claims to own patent rights to use to the use of LAF signature Livestrong mark on pet collars and accuses Livestrong pet collars being sold by the Lance Armstrong Foundation of patent infringement. But I guess the only question is, did the cats cheat in the Tour de France? Yes. Aha! <laughs> well, Constantine Pappas, we've had the dogs, we've had the cats. Going to bring some sanity to this oh, episode? So have, why should I start now? Yes. Um, so this is uh, from 2015, uh, Maryland Special Court of Appeals. So the fact pattern is this. Uh, there was one named Amelia Nelson. She had a pet beagle named Gertie. While still a puppy, Gertie tried to bite and, uh, and in fact, scratch the next-door neighbor, wasn't, uh, wasn't leashed. Uh, his name is Arnold Grove. Now, here's where things get a little mean. They allegedly, Grove planted daylilies, which Gertie ate when she squeezed under the uh, flimsy reed fence that separated their properties. Um, and it had been installed by him years before. Uh, she complained about the fence quality, and he had made some vague pacifying comments indicating a willingness to repair it. it never got done uh, from eating these daylilies Gertie got very sick almost died due, due to allergic reaction evidently dogs um, it, it does damage to their kidneys when they eat these flowers um, and so uh, Arnold Grove was sued for damages related to the image uh, injuries Amelia Nelson countersued for vet expenses claiming he did this maliciously uh, that he was warned ahead of time of, of Gertie's allergies and that uh, basically claimed he planted out of spite, and also for some negligence as far as main, uh, maintaining the fence. And uh, the court said no duty, duty to maintain the fence, and that keeping Gertie uh, uh, secure and out of the, the yard was Amelia Nelson's responsibility. All right, Kristen Trailer, counsel at McGuire Woods, never before have your legal analyses been tested as they are being tested today. You've got three fact patterns. Is it Daniel Pelk and Felonius Fido and the missing packages that's the true story. Is it Don Sawyer with the Lance Armstrong wannabes, the infringers somewhere being they Livestrong, Barkstrong, Perstrong, or Constantine Pappas with Gertie who choked on the daylilies and who knew that daylilies were the arsenic for a new era? Do I get hints? <laughs> ah. Yes, it's, it's one of us. Yeah. <laughs> You've got and a, it is one of us. <laughs> a thirty-three point three percent chance of victory Repeating. here. Ooh, this is really tough. She's looking us in our eyes, and I'm nervous now. I mean, just know who your friends are. Yeah, you could bribe Miss Cerini, and she knows the answer. Yeah, I don't know about bribery. It's but. white collar. I yeah. believe the Spanish word is bite. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> No one's going to bite you. Who are your earrings pointing to? I don't know. They all sound so realistic. Mm-hmm. Like but they really so could silly. happen. <laughs> yes, also very silly. Um, I guess I'm going to go with the Amazon dogs. No! All right, Miss Sarunian has <laughs> the answer. Unfortunately, Let's keep going. that is not <laughs> correct. <laughs> You want to take another guess between these two? I'm probably going to get it wrong, all, all of them wrong. <laughs> I'll go with the collars next. Oh, boo. <laughs> 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 so I get a 
surprised we're getting them all wrong. Yeah, yeah. still get all this swag. So, so fun facts. Uh, I, I am the liar, Constantine. <laughs> <laughs> Amelia Nelson is actually uh, a, a friend of our family's uh, daughter. They do have a dog named Gertie. Uh, Arnold Grove is actually uh, twelve. Arnold Grove is the um, the birthplace of George Harrison. That's his uh, his birthplace address, and he went under that pseudonym uh, several occasions. Um, Daylilies not alert. Uh, uh, it's not something poisonous to dogs, oh. but true lilies oh, are. Oh my god! Because I've been feeding my dog daylilies. Oh, forever. don't don't do that. <laughs> So regular lilies are highly toxic to our uh, canine yeah. friends? True lilies wow. are, but day lilies evidently are okay. I did a lot of research about this. Evidently. Looking this up fence very quality and stuff. This yeah. story that you created. Mm. I thought your reference to the Maryland Court of Special Appeal, which is, of course, the real intermediate appellate court for the state of Maryland. Do you have I me? did. Yes. I, I looked that up, too. On that one. And I, I, I almost made a fake citation because uh, mm, yeah. it's, a, it's MD. Um, I forgot what the... Thing after is maybe S or a, a or something like that. SP apps, I believe. Mm. I maybe. could be wrong too. You are a true trickster. Thank you, Loki. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, is there anything else besides daylilies we need to be or lilies that we need to be worried about? I know I can't feed my dog grapes and I can't feed my dog avocado. Well, chocolate. Well, cho- avocado's well, I think, not good. Yeah, avocado's not good. Really? Yeah. I would have never guessed. Yeah. Not that I would have ever given my dog the avocado because too expensive. Treasure it like, Too expensive. Yeah. Fair, but like some people make like organic food for their dogs with like quinoa and like blueberries. I would totally oh, think avocado my dog would be fine. Sure, not eat that. Dogs <laughs> eat poop. Oh well, sure, yeah. You know there is that, and um, the, we have a Bernie's Mountain dog who has mm. eaten everything known to science. Um, outdoor garden accoutrement including the batteries that go in them, the wires, eating the whole thing. Yeah, it's nuts. But I also think that the whole dogs finding chocolate toxic thing is some conspiracy by the international hard candy manufacturers of America trying to disparage the chocolate people. Because I got this whole thing of seized chocolates shipped in from California. California's contribution to fine chocolate. Mm Yeah, Champion Centennial Royal Tanqueray, American Kennel Club number 725003-03, ate the whole expletive thing. And I had no more seized chocolate, but he was just fine. So the same thing happened to my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, was when he was a kid, was selling, you know, the the Nestle chocolates for baseball. Yeah. Dog got in, ate half the stock. Dog was fine. I think it's like the... The level of cacao that's yeah. like ah, very uh, poisonous okay. to them. So like dark chocolate is really bad. My dog, when I got her, I had um, a bag of like white chocolate pretzels sitting on my kitchen table. No idea how she got it, but she ate the whole bag. And I came home and started freaking out and was like, she's going to die. And they're like, no, it's white. It's not chocolate. Oh, like, she's just going to be hyper. You're fine. Yeah, she, she's you fine. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's like the level of like, like dark chocolate would not be good for animal maybe so, your dog's just a i don't know well i think these were um seized milk want. chocolates mm-hmm. so perhaps that's what saved his life and, w- and you guys are both have big dogs though, right yeah. yeah we have little dogs well and one of our, one, one of, small one one of our dogs jumped up and ate the better part of a sheet cake like yeah a good decent amount of of cake i don't know they how these dogs up? put it away what no. was the occasion it was a birthday, but it wasn't even her birthday. Uh, well, I was about to say, <laughs> did the birthday uh, person cry? 
Uh, I think we just cut it out. Oh, your okay. tiny dog ate a sheet cake? No, a good part of it. Wow. Yeah, she she had figured out how to jump because it was on like a kitchen counter. Yeah. And she figured out how to get up on a chair, up on a table, and left over onto the <gasps> counter to get it. So she she was she deserved that. Cake. She was figuring some stuff out. She deserved nice. it. Absolutely. All right, we have made sure that uh, America is safe for the canines, the felines, and everything in between. We haven't done goats and sheep, but we'll save that for another episode. And Miss Sarunian, another uh, word from our sponsor, Charles River Associates. Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure has been brought to you by Charles River Associates, a Relativity One certified partner. CRA helps clients gain deep insights into the nature, extent, and implications of electronic data. Their team includes e-discovery and information security experts, certified digital forensic examiners, investigators, and former IT auditors and law enforcement officers whose work withstands aggressive adversarial and regulatory scrutiny. Relativity One provides CRA an advantage in superior computing power, scalability, and enhanced capabilities. Let CRA provide you an advantage in litigation, investigations, and more. And this episode's predictions what do you think will be the next big Ponzi scheme? Daniel Pelt. So I thought about this one for a while. Uh, the next big Ponzi scheme is going to be at Ponzi schemes. So if you give me $4,000, I will teach you how to make an ironclad Ponzi scheme that will never be caught. 4000 bucks, huh? That's reasonable, economical. Absolutely. I'd I take check or cash. <laughs> <clears throat> so Don Sawyer, your prediction. This is written down, and it was just a perfect segue to me. So I was going right there, where uh, multi-level marketing companies mm. uh, will start selling celebrity sweat. So it's an actual product, and think CBD oil, essential oils. Yeah, I see it all over the place online, and I really think uh, that's going to be the next thing. You know, get a, you know, the Here. Tesla guy's sweat. You'll be super successful. Maybe get the Kardashian sweat. You'll be super beautiful. <laughs> and made it in. We almost got to the end of this episode without Constantine being horribly disgusted. It had with to yet, feed the machine. Yes. Yet another Kardashian reference. All right. We have perspiration from the famous and near famous. Um, we've got Daniel Pelk, a mere $4,000. You can get in on his scheme. Constantine, what's your prediction? Well, I... I think that the the dream of these types of schemes is is um, there's a certain amount of like glamour associated with it, right? You know, over the last twenty plus years, you know, the the, the restaurant industry has become very mm. uh, very glamorous, and so I would say some sort of restaurant futures thing that you're gonna get on the ground floor. We've got all these great celebrity chefs lined up. They're gonna you know it's gonna be everywhere in the world. It's gonna be super healthy. It's gonna be locally sourced. And it's going to be false. Ms. Sarunian, care to opine on the next Ponzi scheme? I don't know. I was thinking maybe, like, now that in Illinois in January, marijuana will be legal. And, like, I wonder if, like, there would be some sort of, like, fake something going on in there with, like, what they're selling now that it's going to be more regulated. And, like, could there be maybe not as pure so people, like – purchase more or like them some sort of scheme around no one here because character and fitness has cleared us all um but yeah you know the, it's, it's sort of like i think it was in wisconsin where you guys had your crime wave where they um no they seriously they did this deal where they i don't know if it was O'Doul's or some alcohol free beer but they gave all these college students um all this near beer low alcohol or non-alcohol beer 
They were dancing on pool tables, uh, yelling and screaming. They thought they were drunk, so they acted drunk. The placebo effect. Placebo effect is real, exactly. Wow. Kristen Trailer, Council at McGuire Woods, uh, eDiscovery author, eDiscovery speaker. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. An honor, as always, to work with you. Thanks for joining the cast of Uncivil Procedure. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time. Thanks again for joining us today. Our Relativian panelists were Constantine Pappas, Don Sawyer, and Daniel Pelk. Our guest was Kristen Trailer of McGuire Woods. Our host was David Horrigan, and our sponsor was Charles River Associates. Thanks to a few folks who made Uncivil Procedure possible and civil. Nicholas Matechak, sound and recording engineer. Sam Bach and Blair Heidenreich for the masterminds behind some of our material. Tammy Yosasovic is our casting director. Carl Sandrell created our theme music. Gus Tatsakis created our visual brand. Brendan Ryan is our podcast creator and executive producer. Sean Gaines is our podcast marketing overlord, and I'm Anna Strunian, your David Horgan Wrangler, and we'll see you next time on Uncivil Procedure. Continue the Uncivil Procedure conversation on social media via Twitter and Instagram. Just follow us at UncivPropodcast. Tag your thoughts with the hashtag Uncivil Procedure, and connect with our panelists in the Uncivil Procedure discussion group on the Relativity community. Kristen is once again giving me the look like you are a weird dude. But um, no, if we think about... Just keep it going. It, no, it, no, no, no. I'm going to try to dig myself <laughs> out of this hole. hole is so deep. We're never getting out of it. No, but we might just have to start, start is great, fresh. Man. I do like the Spicoli angle. I say we... Spic- Spicoli was a philosopher. 